Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Happy Manifesto podcast. My name's Maureen. And I'm Henry. And today we have on the podcast Howard Yu, who won the Strategy Award in the Thinkers 50. And he's also a Lego professor of innovation and management in a business school in Switzerland. Are we talking Lego as in Lego pieces? Yeah, we're talking, yeah, they, 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 they provide the management uh, the apprenticeship for that uh, organisation. Oh, fantastic. So what brings you joy at work? So um, I have just finished um, on a train-the-trainer course, and it was really interesting because somebody on the course actually took a moment to do something very different. And it was teaching us how to draw a cat. <laughs> uh, this was brilliant. It really was because I can't draw. And I am so pleased with this. She gave us these simple tips. And it was just using circles and shapes. And we all were all excited, all like, let's yeah, here's our cats. So that was <laughs> really, really great. But the thing about it was that training management it doesn't have to be boring we can switch things up to make people feel good about themselves and they're open to learn more very good very good so henry what's been giving you joy well i had a session with common ground who are uh, an organization that that uh, combines with public sector with charities with private sector and they had a session at happy and they came out of the lift and they you know what it's like at happy it's very colorful that we have a really happy vibe and they were very excited by that and then we came into 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 the room and i talked about happy about you know all all the things that we do the freedom and the freedom and autonomy the making our own decisions that i don't make any decisions and at the end of it one of the people sent me a email saying this was a life-changing experience oh that's fantastic you know just to have a simple conversation that can make a difference to a person absolutely and that is that is very much what we are about at happy you know that we we are about creating that different kind of culture totally so saying that will i be able to hang up my picture of my cat on the wall you will okay (laughs) (laughs) fully pre-approved uh (laughs) <laughs> I think we better go to the podcast, Henry. <laughs> Over to Howard. So, Howard, you were born in Hong Kong. You studied at Harvard Business School. And at age 35, you were the Lego Professor of Management and Innovation at uh, the IMD Business School in Switzerland. And you, were, you have now been on the Thinkers 50 uh, Global Award. And you're also on their award for strategy. You've also written a book called Leap. So tell us about your book, Leap. Well, the book came about at the time is I was obsessed with this question is how come some company can sustain new growth when others couldn't? And because I left, I, uh, I left Harvard Business School at the time and under the you know, teaching of Clay Christensen. So disruptive innovation is always an area of interest, deep interest for me. So I decided to unpack a little bit. Among the whole population, there are many firms couldn't make it, but there's always this outlier. And it's almost the, uh, the extension of the innovation dilemma is why do some of these outliers were able to make it? And the Leap book essentially is trying to unpack what is going on. And you talk about, you talk about uh, the best companies being John Deere, P&G, and Novartis, where companies like Steinway and Kodak 
didn't make it. So what, what's, the, what's the difference? Well, if you measure success as the longevity of an organization, so we're not talking about a quarterly earning growth or even decades, we're talking about centuries. This is why I try to unpack company have stamina, if you will. Procter & Gamble, more than 150 years. So as Novartis, predecessor, settled down in Basel, Switzerland, for more than 200 years. And what I discover is all these companies at some point, they essentially have been able to not just explore a new set of capability, but scale this new capability to the very core of the existence of the organization. It's almost rewiring their own DNA, if you will. So these days, people talk about AI, generative AI. I think it's the same, same phenomena. Is any organization, no matter what industry they're in, they have to become techno technological driven. That is very straightforward, but very hard to do. So I look back to history, to looking at John Deere, how historically, simply on mechanical engineering, they move into much more of a marketing role and gender loyalty among farmers <laughs> or pharmaceutical company. From organic chemistry to microbiology to genomics, the study of DNA, today is mRNA, synthetic biology. It's always this rewiring of the very core capabilities of an organization that are the hallmark of longevity. So um, how, how does longevity exist? So, so is it down to the leadership? Because there was an example of P&G where um, there was Project X, which ended up being tied. And that wasn't down to the leadership at all. It was just down to one person who who enabled that uh, that global uh, thing that was tied. So is it is it just random? Let's put it this way: successful company are able to make it happen. They maximize the chance of success. So you know we get obsessed with like charismatic leader, whether Steve Jobs or Elon Musk. So we have this mythical image that you require some genius to rewire the company, to come up with the killer apps and win overnight. But if you look across the broader spectrum and sample of company, a company who made it essentially have created a system, a system that could persist. Now, Project X, as you mentioned in the case of PNG, is down to one Maverick. Now, the inventor, the individual inventor can be everywhere. But what is required is a system of an organization that spot out this promising idea and if able to scale it up so that it actually results in impact in the marketplace. Um, so it, it does require two things, I think. One is a collective leadership in the sense that at the C-suite level, you need to have a shared viewpoint. It cannot be constant infighting of vested interests of a narrow interest uh, functional area. So that's number one. Second is transparency, so that rank and files across the organization, when people make their own choices, they actually understand the bigger roadmap of the organization. All of these are very straightforward, but very few companies actually did it well. Because you gave the example, didn't you, of, of a research project where there was a project that would get 1 million profit if it succeeded and 500,000 loss if it failed. And very few managers went for it because they, they, they said they would get, you know, a, a, a reasonable bonus if, they, if it succeeded, but they'd get fired if it, if it lost. Um, so how could you create a culture um, that would enable the losses to succeed? 
or not not to succeed, but to losses to be able. Yeah, I think you touch us on one very important point, right? Because that 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 type of culture would dictate what kind of people getting self-selected and attracted towards a particular organization. And you've got to question in the end what is the motivation behind the executive? Are they are uh, mostly sort? Uh, are they there to seek uh, monetary reward alone? Are they there to seek prestige and power? Uh, is the PNL of the organization that they lead would equivalent to the importance of himself or herself inside the organization? Or we are talking about another type of organization seeking impact that is even okay to be individual contributor as long as you are doing leading edge activities or research. And then the organization would also value those specialists in 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 return. So so it does depending on how an organization design itself, from compensation to the soft power to reinforce every day the behavior, and as a result, you self select the kind of candidate and promotion within a firm. And I think the huge implication is, depending on what type of executive we have. Would eventually dictate how likely an organization is capable of transforming itself, or resort to financial reengineering. Because I do remember there was something at Google where they had failure bonuses. They gave failure bonuses to employees when a project isn't working, and the the idea is to stop that being doomed. But they didn't, you know, fire people. Yeah. So, so a lot of the time, when when the economy is going well, a lot of organizations try to be more enlightened. And and the Google is a great example. Back then, when time is good, they are very enlightened. And of course, these days, we just heard yesterday or two days ago when Google releases latest uh, financial result, it doesn't look too good, and they're still going, you know, retrenching and laying off employees. It causes a lot of trauma inside an organization, and all of those kind of free willing. Uh, sort of cultural aspect. Friends of mine who have been working there, they said the culture inside Google actually have changed. Now I have no firsthand observation. All I could have is a group of friends who work there, uh, the ex Googler, and they all told me the same thing. Now there might be biases for those who exit Google, right? But it just goes to show. Oftentimes, these kind of organizational culture, unless one is very very careful, they could disappear. Very easily, the moment that economy turn, if the management team are not careful enough, then it could basically、uh, the culture would shift the other direction overnight. But but Google isn't making a loss. Google is making seventy billion in profits. Why why does it need to retrench? Well, the financial pressure. The financial. If you're looking at because it's not enough. That organization are making good profit. They need to increase their profit or increase their revenue. And and of course,、uh, what happened in the investors community? They're looking at Google. They are facing headwind in the cloud computing. The AI、uh, preeminence seems to have been surpassed by Microsoft because of Open AI. So investor have a lot of the doubt, and also their core product in advertisement. Uh, although it has recovered, but it wasn't the same surge in terms of revenue increase as in the past. So I think it's always this like add-on negative spiral an organization can easily get trapped into. In the case of Google, once they being seen as no longer the leading edge player in AI, 
then the whole myth around the organization starts to see crack, and investors are oftentimes impatient. So this is why, why, why the role of leadership becomes so important because they are the one who buffer themselves against the outside noise. But I also used to like the culture of Google. It was, you know, uh, you know, they're a real bottom-up culture, a real empowerment culture, a real. I mean, I don't know if that's still the case. Well, they they still have like particular once they restructure it to Alphabet, and you have all of these moonshot. Although what happened is, despite um, is it's very interesting to read some of this iconic innovator who work at Google and burn at Google, right? Uh, so Tony Fidel would be one name that comes to mind. He created, well, he's the first creator of the first iPod together with Steve Jobs. And he invested Nest, the smart thermostat, which is acquired by Google. And in his memoir, Build, B-U-I-L-D, which is describing how life is like after Google acquired them. And he described a kind of, you know, almost irrational bureaucracy, which we don't think would ever happen at Google. Actually, Tony Fidel experienced firsthand. Prime example, as a startup, you want to be frugal. The moment that Nest was acquired by Google, the cost of internal services, what is accounting and IT or just like uh, cafeteria, they have great cafeteria, right? So each of the business division actually needs to pay up and so the break-even point for Nest all of a sudden is off chart. And to Tony Fidel, it's like, we are still a startup. We need to be frugal. People should pay attention to product, service, and market, not about do I get a massage or not. <laughs> and so it's, it's kind of crazy, right? We tend to think Google get the formula right. And yet from a startup world, if you want to do the next moonshot, at least according to Tony Fidel, uh, it's not the right place. All right. So tell me, you um, you talked you talked about working with Clayton Christensen. He was one of he was number one in the Thinkers Fifty list. Was it his book was Disruptive Innovation? Was it? Yeah, and before that, it was uh, Innovator Dilemma. That's right. Ah, how was it working with him? To say it is a life changing experience, maybe is already already an understatement. Um, I remember the first time I interact with him or worked together. We were writing a case study for a you know, a sort of postal equipment company out in Connecticut. So we drove out there and, and so on. And, and he asked me, like, you know, arrive at my office at 7 a.m. I was like, wow, this is really early. Um, so I went there and so on. But, but in fact, he started his day like 6 or 5 sort of at, at the office. But he's so disciplined to be able to spend time with his family. And he told everybody, like, he never works on Saturday and Sunday. And he'd make a very clear line ever since he started to work. So ultimately, of course, having a teacher like Clay teaches you not just thinking about management theory, but also he wrote a book around how to measure one's life or how to measure success. And, and I think this is something sometimes uh, we business school forgot <laughs> to teach is there are life after the number. And, and, and I think, yeah, that's his legacy. So the Thinkers 50 list is the Oscars of management and you won their strategy award. And you said that the future isn't speed, it is to prepare. Can you explain more on that? Yeah. If you take an analogy, right, um, Apple is never the fast mover. <laughs> it's never the first mover in anything. They are not the first MP3 maker. iPod came way late. 
they are not the first one going into lately virtual reality. They just launched Vision Pro uh, versus other companies have gone through that rabbit hole for a long time. But they always try to be the first one who get it right. So I think one danger for executive these days is the talk of technology is just getting spinning faster and faster. And this FOMO, this you know, fear of missing out is almost too big. And, and it's almost like, wait, remember we talk about Bitcoin? Remember we talk about smart contract by blockchain? Remember we talk about, you know, metaverse and, and all of these. And now we all talk about Gen AI. I think all of these means, you know, this technology, of course, is going to have transformative impact. But there is also the basic foundation. If we are corporate leader, right, there are basic foundation you need to lay clean first before you could capitalize these new technologies as opportunity. It's very common these days when I speak to executive on the traditional business industry, they would tell me, well, we don't even get access to all the data across the world as simple as market share. We don't even have the same uh, definition on very basic category because someone sitting in uh, Manila would have a very different definition compared to someone sitting in Stockholm, for example. And, and so these are what I call the hygiene factor. Now, the danger about cocktail talk at Davos and, you know, South by Southwest is we get so enthralled about the next shiny thing and think that as the ultimate penicillin to cure all. But in fact, becoming future ready require, you know, everyday hard work. You need to get the data definition right first. You need to get all the data pipeline already. And you could do it while you're exploring this Gen AI stuff. But if you don't have that, how do you leverage that technology? So I think the role for senior leader is, in fact, to slow people down. This is all very exciting. But, you know, here is what we also need to do well. Keep an eye open out there, but don't panic. Because you don't need to become NVIDIA to win if you happened to be a fashion company, for instance, right? You just need to, what I call very simple, one inch ahead. You just need to be one inch ahead of your competitor. Then you have had room for improvement. Then you can have had room to breathe. Then you can continue to improve yourself. So how do you get one inch ahead of your competitor? Oh, but the solution set is always so obvious, right? Because there are so many consultants write about it for industry insight. BCG McKinsey makes a living out of that. You download all this free report, fit to chat GPT, boom, you get a bullet point. But what is hard is to close the knowing and doing gap. It's very hard to do what is right. Why? Because as simple as getting data integration correct, right? It requires difficult trade-off. Uh, trade-off such as I'm going to spend two hours to call a customer who will make an order, or I'm going to spend the next two hours learning about a new piece of technology and see how I could selectively, smartly deploy to my own business. One thing is urgent. The other thing is not urgent, but very important. That's where the knowing and doing gap happen. It's very human nature, right? It's like me postponing filing my tax return. Why do I do that? No reason. No reason. But I just keep on doing that. Okay, so tell us, um, have any companies used your book Leap to change the way they work? I think one aspect that we've seen is not so much about my prescription, <laughs> but more like the process that helps. 
Because in my executive education, I think one thing is really critical is for executive to like peel above their day-to-day operation to understand, hey, there are other industries have already faced your challenge decades ago, and this is how they overcome such challenge. So let's learn, not from your peer group, and looking at benchmarking kind of report, but look outside. So the lead book, the reason I'm putting in all these examples from other industry across- I love is, the stories. I love the stories in that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. To inspire people's curiosity. There are lives outside your own sector, right? So for a logistic company, for example, if you want to really build a stronger business these days, of course, people talk about predictive analytics and so on. So where do you look? Well, you don't just benchmarking with other shipping industry company. What you want to looking at is fashion industry. How do they manage the supply chain, for instance, using API so that they could pass out all the outsourcing to factory around the world, have all the information rolling out. Now, you don't need to be at that level. But if you take that playbook adjust in your own world, then again, you're one inch ahead. You're one inch ahead if you're UPS against FedEx or vice versa. That's it. That's it. So, so it's being curious is a process that I think ultimately is the most important thing that manager, hopefully after they read the book, they was, you know, build up a little small exploration team. I'm going to take the team. I'm actually having a conversation with a manager. He, she took her whole team going to Japan. This is a European company going to Japan to understand almost like alien thinking, just to look how does world class customer service and this obsession about craftsmanship expressed in a Japanese society. Now, that challenged a bunch of assumptions back in Europe. Of course, we're not going to copy exact. No way. It's uh, you know, not applicable. But it's just a challenging our assumption and giving us a higher level aspiration, I think, oh, just makes life more fun. So it's not about looking at your competitors and your sector, but it's about looking much wider and even more global. Yeah, yeah. I think doing both, essentially. I mean, by nature, they were looking at a competitor already because no company can afford to ignore the direct competitor. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but the criticality here is if we only pay attention to the urgent stuff, then we end up spending our life fire shooting every day we end up not paying attention to the most important things in life. So in your, in your book, you've said that your, the three leverage points that shape the future are, one, the emergence of ubiquitous connectivity, two, the rise of intelligent machines, and three, the changing role of human work. So do you think AI will replace humans? I don't think so. You don't? I hope not. I really hope <laughs> not. <laughs> well, we, well, we all hope not, yes. We all hope not. Now, now... Who knows? The verdict is out there. But I could tell you one thing, huh? because I spoke with uh, people more from the technology world, and some of them do harbor this thought like, of course, AI is going to replace human, and there is no, there's no choice, and they kind of reside to this fact already, and, 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 and let's just let it go. I thought that's crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> this, this is not the act of God. And this is completely under our control to build a safe environment, to drive efficiency rather than driving unemployment. Why don't we drive down the working hours for individuals? Well, absolutely. We're, we're, we're on a four-day week at Happy. I know. So, so, so I think 
I guess one of the interesting fact, the fact that our world, the sort of globalized world is getting reduced these days. And, you know, Europe have a sort of standard related to data governance and GDPR. US has one. And of course, the rest of the world, they all have different shape and form and China have their own orbit. Maybe it's not as bad as we imagine. Maybe it would allow some of the more humane practices emerge to have that varieties rather than one single social media app dominate all around the world. That's it. So variety is good. Variety is good, definitely. So tell me, what are your three best tips to create a happy workplace? Um, number one, transparency. Um, transparency, not just mission and result and spreadsheet, but codify as much or document as much as possible and give access to all employee how decision is being made. Because people would think, oh, need to know basis. Well, when the world moves super slow, that's fine. <laughs> Today you cannot. Second is the best disinfectant is sunlight. So I think transparency, radical transparency is great. Uh, second related to that point is uh, some people call documentation that I think is a data rich work environment. Meaning what? Um, a lot of the time when a company try to do an experiment, it doesn't work out and nobody talk about that and there's no learning. But if you were to document or capture how decision is being made at that real time moment, then it's almost like putting black boxes in an aircraft. If something goes south, then you could take it out and do post-mortem. But you could only do correct post-mortem if it is a data-rich environment. And then the third one, if I were to make a point, um, there are all these leading organizations we see, they, they basically, well, it's the two pizza rule by, uh, you know, Jack Bezos, <laughs> or is the micro enterprise by Hire, the Chinese home appliances company. And, and, and is, is, is this a whole idea that you want a modular organization? Now, there is all this, you know, technical aspect we couldn't going in, but essentially somehow you've got to make sure the company can operate with groups of independent teams, uh, whether it, you are a payment company, we've seen that happen at the case of MasterCard, as scale as MasterCard. We've seen manufacturing world as big as higher. We've seen Amazon doing that. So it is not an excuse. It's not an excuse saying like, oh, we couldn't do it. it that, that's an excuse. We could do it. It's proven, but it, it needs some hard work. So keep your team small. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, somehow you need to have the ability to break up big strategic business unit into very small teams. Very good, very good, very good tips. So I think that will make people happy. <laughs> <laughs> Indeedy, yes, absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Howard. Thank you. Great to be here. And uh, for your listener, if they want to check out more about becoming future ready, so just type future readiness. It should pop on number one on SEO. So people can look at how do we measure which company most future ready. So their interactive graph and so on is by the school. And it's all free IP. We give it away. Excellent. And also read Howard's book, Leap. Thank you. Something that really stood out for me was that whole thing that when organizations are dealing with challenges, they usually look to their peers or their benchmarking marching themselves against their peers. And Howard pointed out is that, well, why don't we look back, you know, at other industries, you know, outside the box? Because some of those industries have 
gone through those challenges. And there are lots of lessons that we can learn from that. Well, what I particularly got from it, I particularly got from his book, you know, when, when, the bit I, I talked about in the, in, the, in the podcast about that project where there was a one million uh, potential in profit and 500,000 in loss and the managers didn't go for it. Oh, only you know, only a few of them went for it mm-hmm. because they would have had a had a, a probably a bonus if they'd gone with it, if if it had made a profit. But they'd they'd have probably lost their job if it, if it hadn't. And uh, Howard talked about the culture and how you could make a culture different from uh, about that. But definitely, I think that is something where you don't have psychological safety in that kind of organisation, and you need to have psych- a, a good culture of psychological safety. Definitely. So if you want to listen to more podcasts that we've um, already recorded, go to happy.co.uk and subscribe to the podcast so you know that when a new edition comes out, you'll be the first in the know. So let's create joy at work. <laughs>